does 72 months, that's six years, no interest financing? Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, that's who. Just order by May 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I, I do I want to start off the program by just offering one comment on, on this news story that's out there. I mean, the breaking news was yesterday that Milwaukee, former Milwaukee police chief Alfonso Morales, who, in my opinion, was one of the best, if not the best, Milwaukee police chief for decades, he was unceremoniously dumped and demoted by the Fire and Police Commission in an action that is subsequently found to be illegal. So the, the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission has, has moved on. They're in the process of trying to find another police chief, although they're so dysfunctional they can't do that. Al Morales was never Tom Barrett's guy. He didn't want Barrett didn't want him in the first place, and so he, he's now been dumped. There's this lawsuit, and the breaking news is yesterday a circuit court judge said, "Hey, look, you know, you you illegally got you illegal, illegally demoted uh, Chief Morales." And here's the deal. He's entitled to be reinstated in his position and unless unless within 45 days you can somehow settle this. And I, I know one of the attorneys for the chief was former chief was on the air today and saying, well, he, he wants his job back. Let me cut all th- through this all. Al Morales does not want his job back, at least in my opinion. The last thing, if you are Alfonso Morales. Why in God's green earth would you want to go back to the Milwaukee Police Department? You've got the mayor who doesn't want you, never wanted you. You've got the same, this is this dysfunctional fire and police commission that illegally demoted you in the first place. Well, they're still there. You know, in large part, they they are still there. And a number of the policies that they implemented that caused a lot of the rifts between you and them, those policies are still in place. Why in the world would you want to, especially if you're a Chief Morales' age, go back into the middle of that? And that's not suggesting that he wasn't good at his job, but, I mean, try try to put yourself in this particular position. If you were unfairly treated, illegally demoted by the company you work for. I mean, do, do you want to go back and be reinstated in a position where the same people who are your supervisors who illegally demoted you, they're still going to be your supervisors dictating policy? I, and, and the answer is he, he doesn't really want his job back. Now, I understand you got to say he wants his job back because that continues to give you the, the leverage to work out a, a settlement. And, of course, the Fire and Police Commission and the mayor, they don't want him back. I mean, they, they, they decided that this is what we're going to do. We want to get rid of him in the first place. Now, I think that was a stunningly stupid and irresponsible decision. But the people that made that decision, like they've suddenly seen the light and said, oh, uh, we, we, we want Chief Morales back. No, they, they've decided to make their bed, and now they're going to lie in it. And so, I mean, the way this is all going to work out if you're asking me what are the chances that uh, Chief Morales 
will be actually resuming being the Milwaukee police chief, my answer would be slim to none, and slim is probably on a bus heading out of town. It's not to say they wouldn't do a good job, but if I was Chief Morales, I mean, you wouldn't get anywhere near that viper's nest that is there, because even if he gets reinstated, you know very well that they'll be gunning to try to find something they can do to get rid of him as quickly as they possibly can. Now, the answer is, he was treated unfairly, he was treated illegally. Unfortunately, the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee are going to have to write him a big check, but that's that's what he deserves. And from the perspective of, again, elections having consequences, well, at some point in time, the voters in the city of Milwaukee are going to have to stand up and recognize that huh, maybe these people that we are electing into office who select members of the Fire and Police Commission, maybe we need to figure out a way to hold them accountable. But I'm hearing the reports that Al Morales wants to go back to his job. I just don't buy it. I mean, it's I understand, like I say, you have to say that, but that's not going to happen. All right. Yesterday was another one of those, those protests that have been going on for the last couple years where you have fast food workers who um, stage kind of these like sort of wildcat walkouts um, demanding that there be a $15 um, minimum wage per hour minimum wage for fast food workers. Now, this is all this is something that's been organized across the country by service employees, industrial union um, and so th- that's they're, they're pushing. They want they want fast food workers to be unionized, and they also want fifteen bucks an hour. So there was a very very small protest yesterday. Um, it was I think you know they say about thirty people. Um, so thirty workers, thirty demonstrators, and th- th- it's not like again it's this large scale thing. But because this is an issue that captures the media's attention, you got 30 people and, you know, that gets attention and gets a story in the Journal Sentinel. Here's the quotation that caught my mind. It shouldn't have to be like this. Fast food workers in Milwaukee walk off the job to protest for the $15 minimum wage. And then it quotes a woman who um, has been working at, at a Popeye's on North 29th Street and West Capitol Drive. She makes $12 per hour. When the restaurant recently hired another manager at 12.50, she decided she couldn't work there anymore. I couldn't take care of my family on $12 per hour anymore. Um, my kids are getting bigger. I'm tired of watching my work baby struggle, she said, struggle to provide for their families. It shouldn't have to be like this. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, th- this this fast food worker says well, it, it shouldn't have to, to be like this. I, I'm tired of trying to struggle to provide for my family on, on $12 an hour. And I, by the way, I am certain that, you know, $12 an hour, it is, I don't know how anybody could provide, for example, for a family of three or four people on, on $12 an hour. I, I understand all that. But, all right, is the answer to that to say to employers, Right, you have to pay more than that. Or is the answer to say, hey, if you don't think you're being treated fairly at a job at $12 an hour, well, fine. What you need to do is you need to go out and you need to find a job that pays more than that. And if you don't have the skills to find a job that pays you more than $12 an hour, what you need to do is get some job training 
or consider a career change or go back to school or do whatever, as opposed to saying, all right, we, we need these mandatory $15 an hour minimum wage jobs. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess my point of all this is if you feel you're being untreated, treated unfairly by your employer, if you feel that you are being underpaid, isn't the answer then to do something about it and if that do something about it means find yourself a different job, get yourself some sort of training so that you can find a job that makes you more suitable, gets you paid more money. Isn't that really on you? Do we really expect, okay, well, I just, you, you can't support a family on twelve fifty an hour, so let's make everybody pay 15 bucks an hour, even though the job is only worth 12 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, at the end of the day, don't people have to take responsibility for themselves? And if your skills, if your skills are not sufficient to command, in this case, more than $12.50 an hour, isn't it on you to try to develop skills which will then make you more attractive to other employers? 855-616-1620. We discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Another worker quoted in the story says um, she also works at Popeye's. She said that uh, even though she had the day off, she decided to show up for this protest because she's been making $10 per hour for the last three years. Okay, well, whose fault is that? And, and I say this I'm not trying to be unsympathetic, but you know these, these, particularly these fast food jobs and a lot of the other jobs, they are they are entry level jobs. That is what they are designed to be. And the idea is you start working at them. What you do is you gain a little bit of experience, and then you move on to something else. You're there while you're in school or whatever. But if you're making ten bucks an hour and you're at the same job for three years and you're not getting raises or whatever, who, who is that on? Is it the employer's fault? Or is it maybe maybe it's time that you see the handwriting on the wall and maybe it's time to either get skills or look aggressively, try to find something that you think will pay you more? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Chris in Cedarburg. Hi, Chris. Hi, how are you? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Um, you know, I just I just think that a lot of these jobs are not meant to be major career choices. They may just be getting you over a hump. And also... You know, if, if we if we keep having to pay more and more and more, they are going to cut back people and, you know, diminish the workforce or have it automated where you put your, your order in on a computer and, yeah. you know, it's going to have one person walk out the door and give you your food and it's going to be less intimate with less people, you know, working at the counter. Yeah. And, I mean, this and, and the, the poor people who own these businesses, especially after COVID, they, they don't have the money to, right. to jack up the the wage. That's just my feeling. No, no. Well, you're, well, you're right. And let's go to the point of, of automation because I, I know people who who own fast food restaurants, and that that's always one of the things that they that they're deciding. First of all, it's tough to find people who will show up and work reliably. But secondly, there is that cost involved. And at some point in time, you know, you you can put one of those kiosks in, and it, let's say it costs you five thousand bucks or whatever. That that's a big expense up front. But pretty soon, you you pay for it. If that means you need three p- less people, well, then then at some point in time, it makes sense to go with the kiosk. And I think more right. if you if you make if you artificially inflate wages, that's what people are going to do. It's just going to be auto- more automation and people are going to lose their jobs. 
Right, and I think there actually is a McDonald's or something in Grafton where they did that. They yep. got rid of the majority of the help, and that's what you do. You go and you, you press your, you know, your right. your choices, and then, you know, it's just maybe there's like two or three people there, two cooks, and maybe one, you know, um, customer service person. But that's it, and people don't realize that sometimes something is better than nothing, and, and they're going to... There's going to be nothing, nowhere for them to go to, to make any money. Well, no, Chris, you're, you're right. I mean, the, the example, thanks for the call, the example I always give um, if it is years and years ago, if you would go to a racetrack like Arlington Park, for example, which is the, the big horse track in um, suburban, you know, outside of suburban Chicago, in su- suburban Chicago, what you would do if you want to place a bet, you would walk in there and you would see, I don't know, maybe maybe 20, maybe 30, maybe 40 people working who would take your bet. You'd go up to the window and you'd say, I want $2 and number three to win. All right, well, now you go down there you'll see a very, very small number of actual people working. Why? Because they have all these automated machines, kind of like the ATM machines, where you know once, once you figure out how to work it, it's really easy. You go up to the machine, you put in your money, you put in your slip or whatever, you push what you want, it puts out the betting slip. They don't need the people anymore. And it's cheaper to have that machine there than it is to have the people and pay all the benefits. And, and that's, that's it. But I guess my bigger point about this is th- th- this notion that all right employers have to pay people certain amounts of money because well we, we, we can't we can't make it Gee, if if somebody's working for 12 bucks or 13 bucks an hour they can't support a family of four well no they, they, they can't that that's just the reality now if somebody's making that they're probably getting all sorts of government assistance as well but that's another issue but if what what is in fact the answer? And some people are now texting me, suggesting, well, you know, you, you can't expect people, you know, um, to you can't expect people to get skilled training or anything like that. How how's that going to happen? Well, yeah, I, I do. That that's that that's the nature. I, I guess if you believe that you're trapped in a in an entry level job and you've been working there for years and years and years, I guess there's two approaches you can have. One is to say, well, I want the government to come bail me out, or the other is to say, okay, maybe I. What I, maybe what I need to do is, is figure out what what can I do to make myself more attractive to other employers, and maybe that means going to night school. Maybe that means trying to find an apprentice program to to get you in and let you do something. But if if you're if you're in a dead end job, or at least what you perceive is a dead end job, a job in many cases that were entry level jobs that were never supposed to be. Hey, you know, I, I have I have the greatest respect for people, for example, who work in the fast food industry. I, but the, the, those jobs, you know, if you're if you're you know making French fries at a McDonald's, that that's not a job that's supposedly. Hey, I'm going to start when I'm working when I'm 18, and I'm going to finish when I'm 65. That that was never meant to be a career sort of job. It was an entry level job. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Larry in Whitefish Bay. Larry, good afternoon. Larry. Hello, yes. Hi, Larry. What do you think? All right. So, yeah, so what I think is missing in this whole thing is just uh, the value, value, evaluation of people's capabilities. Because you say, sure, if you're doing a dead-end job, just go to school and get some training so you can get a better job. Do you know that not everybody is as intelligent as you are? You know, some people just don't have the gray matter to be able to get a better job. 
So what do those people do? What are we supposed to do with those people? Just leave them in a dead-end $10 an hour job that they can't even support themselves? And then what happens? Well, well, okay, well, let, let me stop you. Let, let, me, let me ask you, what, what do you yeah, say? Yeah. If, what do you think? If somebody, if somebody is in the, the, the job that's making $10 an hour and doesn't have the, the skills or the desire or whatever to try to better themselves, what, what do you think the answer is? Is the answer that we then say the, to the employer, hey, um, the job's only worth 10 bucks an hour, but we want you to pay the person 20. I mean, is, is that what you would do? Well, for, first of all, I would raise the minimum wage because the arguments against ma- raising the minimum wage has been the same arguments that have been yeah. proposed when it was initiated okay. and when it was raised in the okay. past. Okay, but and to your point, Larry, valid, the, the difference is somebody making twelve fifty an hour. You, you can you can you can raise the minimum wage and say you got to make fifteen bucks an hour. That you can't support a family of four on on fifteen bucks an hour either. You you know you're just not going to be able to to do that. So let's get to the fundamental question then. It, would would you say hey let let's the, the employers have to pay people twenty twenty five dollars an hour. The employers have an obligation regardless of what the job is worth to pay somebody. Well, my question to you is what if the person is not smart enough to be able to uh, to to get training to get a better job well i guess i, do I do well i reject that that notion that people are always and thanks for coming mean, people are always going to be able at least most people are going to be able to to find something that they have an aptitude i guess i'm uncomfortable saying somebody's not smart enough to to be able to figure out gee maybe i can go back to school or i can get some sort of training and maybe i'm good with my hands and i can figure out you know how to do this or that or the other i don't know that it's really a question of of smart now it might be a question of of ambition it might be a question of opportunity and things like that but i'm uncomfortable with the idea of what about somebody that's not smart enough but regardless you know those are the situations where you do have the government assistance programs and all the other stuff that's out there. But I don't think in the private sector you can go to employers and say, all right, the job objectively is worth $10 an hour. By that I mean, you know, it, it's an unskilled job. It is an entry-level job. It's worth $10 an hour or it's worth $12 an hour. It's worth $15 an hour. Figure out what, whatever that level is. But say, well, gee, because, you know, the person that you have hired – doesn't have the abilities to do more than that job, you should automatically, let's give them 30 bucks an hour or, or whatever, again, that number would be. Is that the employer's responsibility? And there will always, I guess, be a, a I'm trying to think of the word, there, there'll always be like a subset of the workforce that, that, yes, is going to be, you know, limited as to what they can do. But most people, most people are going to be out there, aren't they, trying to better themselves? And like I say, if somebody's been working at a job for you know three or four years and is stuck at ten dollars an hour and hasn't had any significant raises, to me that that's a red flag that says, hey, you you need you need to take a look at your life and you need to figure out, okay, what what can I do? What can I do to figure out how I can make more money as opposed to simply saying, well, even though the job I'm doing is only worth $10 an hour, I, I want somebody to pay me 20 That's just not the way the real world works. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, I, I knew our last caller, Larry, was going to generate a huge response on our text line, but it, it, Jeff. There are plenty of entry-level manufacturing positions available in Wisconsin. Pay is approximately $20 an hour with great benefits. You know, you would be amazed at, at how many businesses I, I talk to. I talk to the owners. They say they, they can't get 
people. And these are, whether they're apprentice programs or whatever, they say they can't get people to participate. And then they can't, even once they get people in the system, even though they're offering money and even though they're offering benefits and even though they're offering training, they can't get people to come back a second day or a third day because people might not like the nature of, of the work. You know, it, it's it's hard work. Uh, you know, sometimes it, it's physical labor. Sometimes it's not necessarily desirable labor. You know, you're, you're training to be a plumber and you got to go clean out, you know, somebody's toilet or whatever. You don't like to do that. But there's a lot of those jobs that are available a- as well. But I think you do have to make a commitment that, hey, look, if I don't like what I'm doing and I don't like what I'm being paid and I don't think I'm being treated fairly, yes, yes. Somebody said, you're heartless. No, I think you have an obligation to try to benefit, to better yourself, as opposed to saying, all right, you're doing a job that's worth $10 an hour here because you can't live on $10 an hour. We're going to make somebody give you 30 bucks an hour. That's not the way it works. You've got to figure out ways to benefit yourself or at the very least then say, okay, I'm, you're going to um, have spend a lifetime where you're depending on the government for benefits and things of, of the like. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One final thought on the the minimum wage thing. I, I like I said, I was I was in a fast food drive through line just the other day, and there there all these places are desperate for help, which is going to segue into what our, our next story is. But there there is a sign, and again, this was one of the you know the burger doodles that are there, and the, the sign you know help wanted. And I think it was starting pay for adults was 12 bucks an hour, less for teenagers, but, you know, less for teenagers. But for adults, it was 12 bucks an hour. And it said it had a retention bonus after three months and paid time off and um, like an, an education stipend and things like that. And and so I guess I'm sitting here thinking if if you're. For example, let's let's take fast food. You know, if if you're working at a at a fast food place and you've been there for any sort of length of time and you're not advancing and you're not getting raises, well, maybe what you need to do is you need to then then move to a different fast food place, take some sort of responsibility. Now again, I I'm, I'm not arguing that if you're working in fast food, which is essentially an entry level type of job, not designed to be a a permanent permanent job or a a family of four supporting job. But if you're stuck at the same salary for year after year and the same wage, that tells me that maybe you're at the wrong place. And maybe what you need to be doing is kind of looking around and saying, okay, hey, look, I've been an exemplary employee at, you know, Jeff's Burger Doodle. And now it's time to, you know, move to, you know, Gru's Taco Place because they're desperate for help, too. And I can go in and say, hey, I've worked at this other place for three years and give me a two dollar an hour raise. That That's how the system works works, you know, sometimes you have to take a little bit of responsibility for yourself, which brings me to what I want to speak with you about now. We have talked on multiple occasions over the last couple of weeks, particularly after the really, really bad um, job creation numbers that, that came out a week ago about the what what is going on with the Biden administration and the fact that if you are unemployed, In addition to your typical state unemployment check, the federal government for the longest while gave people $600 a week extra. Now they're giving people $300 a week extra. And if you do the math, the, I think the average unemployment benefit is 318 bucks a month. So 318 bucks plus another 300 bucks a month. What, what you, if you are working at a job that pays you probably less than 16 or 17 bucks an hour, you come out ahead 
by, by not working. And so that's why I think right now there's 12 or 13 states that have already said, look, we, we, we're out of the, the economic pandemic. We, we need jobs. We need people to go back to work. And, and I, look, I understand it. It's human nature. If you're in a job that you don't particularly like or that's hard work or that you don't think is going to lead to a growth in a career, I understand if the choice is sitting around on TV and watching Days of Our Lives or going back to work and making the same amount of money as you would by not working, I get why people don't work. I mean, it's just, it is human nature. And it's one of the reasons why I firmly believe that, you know, this is going to continue until like these benefits run out in September. And then once people don't make more money by not working than they do working, they'll, they'll be inspired to go back to work. So you, you have that issue. Republicans in the state legislature are going to, um, move legislation through eliminating that $300 benefit. Tony Evers, the big government guy, he's he's going to veto it. So that's not going to happen. But there is something that is going to happen, I believe, starting Sunday in Wisconsin. Historically, to collect unemployment in Wisconsin. And again, unemployment, unemployment has always been, and the intention of unemployment hasn't been to give people an alternative to working. What unemployment is, is it's for people who are temporarily between jobs. The idea is to give them a little bit of a safety net to help them navigate that period between one job and another. But it's never been designed as as like a welfare system to give people alternatives to working. So that's why one of the conditions historically in Wisconsin, a condition of qualifying for unemployment is that you you have to look for for work right that that's that that's that's been it and historically in Wisconsin you have had to perform what they call four work search activities each week in order to continue to maintain benefits now work search might be um putting in applications at places. It might be um, going to job training. There's various things to do it, but but that's always been the requirement. You can't just sit on your butt completely and not, and collect the dough. You have to be looking for, for a job. Those requirements that you go out and look for a job were waived uh, back at the start of the pandemic last spring. And the reason they were waived is, first of all, um, Employers weren't hiring then. Everything was pretty much on a lockdown. So making people go out and fill out job applications when people were laying off folks right and left, that 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 was going to be an exercise in futility. On top of that, you had the concerns about the, the pandemic, and we didn't want people going out and interacting, and lots of businesses weren't letting people come in. So the decision was made during the pandemic, we're going to, we are going to suspend the work search requirements. Well, that's been continued and continued and continued. And it was, it went into effect in March of 2020. And it was supposed to last until July of, of this year. Well, earlier this week, the legislature, through their rulemaking power, and this is the Republicans who did it, the Republicans in control of the legislature said, we're ending, we're ending the waiver on work search requirements. So starting, I believe, on Sunday, in order to continue to be able to qualify and collect unemployment, unemployed people will again have to perform four work search activities 
each week in order to obtain benefits. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As you might expect, some people on the left are absolutely outraged that we would, again, in COVID, expect people to actually go out and, and have to look for work or put in applications. At the risk of once again being labeled heartless, I don't think it's unreasonable. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, especially in a situation where you have so many employers that are begging for help. Is it unreasonable to say, all right, you, you got to do four work search-related activities, you got to put in some applications, maybe you got to go get a training, whatever. Is that unreasonable? And my answer is, is no. 855-616-1620. Matter of fact, I think it's long overdue. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jeff, it's not unreasonable at all to expect people to look for work, but it's also not unreasonable for employers to actually start paying decent wages because that's why people are not returning to work. No, okay, here, here, here's the deal. They're, they're not returning to work. Because they can make more money, not, well, there's other factors as well, but that's a big factor. If, if you're again in, in one of those jobs, let's say the job pays 15 bucks an hour, let's take that magic number. Right now, for the average person on unemployment, you make more by not working than you do going to that $15 an hour job. So now we're in this situation, do, do I, do I get it? Well, well, sure. If you can make as much money not working as, as working, well then of course you're, you're not going to work. So what, what's the solution? Do we then say to the employers, well, you know, here's the choice. You've got to pay more, even though the job's only worth 13 bucks an hour. You've got to pay more, or else we're going to have the government compete against you and decide to artificially try to increase wages, because otherwise we're just going to pay people to sit around on their butts. No, sorry. And, and watch what's going to happen. In those states that don't do away with the $300 bonus, what's going to happen is when it goes away in September, boom, everybody's going to rush back to the, the workforce because they, they can't live on $318 a week, um, but they, they can comfortably live on, on the $618 a week. Let's start with Terry in Waukesha. Hi, Terry. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Good. Um, I'm totally on board with it. Um, you know, I've been real fortunate to have been working throughout the pandemic. So, you know, I, I don't take that for granted, not for any reason, you know, not one sure. bit. Um, I have a spouse who pre-pandemic, um, he's in the trades, and it's natural. It's, it's common for them during the off-winter months sure. to be laid off because work is slow. Sure. Now, he had been laid off for some time prior to the pandemic and coincidentally two weeks after everybody was shutting down he ended up getting called back to work which was so it was good because he was then receiving his you know he was receiving regular unemployment nothing extra prior to that um just the regular unemployment which was a significant reduction in what we were bringing in before but we managed based on what we had and i like i said i was working um, he never, and I think he got laid off one other period during there where he did maybe get a couple months where he did see that additional money, but he didn't see the one, I think it was even higher at one point early on in the pandemic so it was pandemic At one point in time it was 600, now it's 300, yeah. Okay, right. And so that would have been 
awesome had he received that when he was laid off. Of course that would have been awesome. We would have collected that in a minute. You know, I'm not going to turn that down. Sure. But I will say that, you know, we we didn't have that opportunity. And I don't think, so that's one thing. And I also don't think that somebody should be making more money um, not working than when they were working. There's no motivation to go back, as you said. And it just doesn't seem right, especially for those that, you know, do continue to work. Right. right, And, I don't know. No, you're, I mean, exactly. Thanks. I mean, imagine... Imagine the situation, and th- this was especially the case when it was at $600 a week, and we- we'd have these stories about people who were deemed a- essential workers, the folks who were you know, working as the cashiers and-, and the stockers at the big box retailers and those sort of things, and, and-, and they were they were working, and you had people who had similar jobs who were laid off, and, and they were making more than the people who were expected to go into work every day. There, there was something fundamentally wrong about that, but I understand we, it, th- we, we had the pandemic, and, and so you have to react to that. I guess this, this is the question of how do you, how do you get back to normal? And as a general rule, I don't think it's unreasonable to say again, with, without even talking about that extra 300 bucks, that the goal Unemployment is not intended to make up all the income you lost while you're between jobs. It's meant to give you the safety net while you find another job. And now what's going to happen again in Wisconsin is one of the conditions is you have to go look for a job. You got to do this four job search activities a, a week. You got to prove that you put in some job applications or again use this as an opportunity. Somebody earlier was saying, well, you know, what, what about, you know, how come people can't get training? Well, okay, maybe, you know, if if that's really the situation, maybe it's a time to, all right, I'm, I'm going to use it to try to get some job training, to try to get some extra skills so that maybe I'm more desirable to my next employer. Adam in Milwaukee. Hi, Adam. You're on WTMJ. How you doing, sir? Real well. Thank you, sir. Uh, well, I, I think uh, it works in a way, but uh, uh, I've been unemployed since uh, September, I'm pretty sure, and I haven't received no help whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind getting uh, work training, but like I said, uh, it, it's rough out here. What, what do you, I'm, I'm just curious. What, what do you mean you haven't received any help? You're, you're, you're collecting unemployment. I, I, I haven't. I, I've, been, I've been doing odds and ends of you know, work. Uh, sometimes I work on, on people's cars uh-huh. or, high, you know, collect what I see, you mm-hmm. know, by, uh, con- uh, metal or whatever. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I haven't received any uh, government help. That's what I'm trying to say. But I've received that uh, letter saying that uh, I have to work or not work, but I have to look for work. Right. Well, have you I'm, I'm curious. I mean, have you gone around and have you put in applications at, at different places? I mean, have, have you applied? Because I, I know when I drive around the area, I see help wanted signs up all all over now. I understand that maybe not everybody's qualified to do everything, but have, have you put in? Right, applic- right, have, right. No, and, and I get it. Sure, I mean, you, you could say to me, "If it's a job to be a computer programmer, I can't do that. I don't have those skills." But right. ha- have you applied? Have you been applying for jobs? Well, I've been to McDonald's and uh, other places, and uh, even even uh, junkyards, and uh, they, you know, they turn around and tell me that. Uh, uh, we'll call you. You're right. I've been putting applications in. Yes, okay. I have. Okay. Well, and see, and that I mean, see, I mean, thanks for calling. And that—that's the only. That, that, that's all this does. 
I mean, this requirement says, okay, you know, we're going to continue the unemployment payments, and you, you get it, but you do have to at least, you know, go out and make an effort. So you have to prove that you've put in applications or, or done some of these other job search things, but the simplest thing is to put in applications. And, and look, I, I understand maybe you're being told no. Well, you're not going to lose your unemployment benefits because you haven't been offered a job, but at least you've got to go out and, and make an effort to try to find something. That's what the rules are. And, and my point is, I don't think that that's an unreasonable requirement um, to, to do, to say, hey, at least at least try to try to find a job, make, make an effort. And by the way, like I said earlier, I understand why at the beginning Last March, March of 2020, when when COVID hit and everything shut down, I understand why this rule was waived. And I I didn't oppose it at the time because back then people were getting laid off right and left. And, you know, if you're if you're an employer and you're laying off people, you're probably not going to be hiring new people. So I understand that. And there was the concern, hey, we're all supposed to be in lockdown. We're not supposed to be going out. So is it fair to make people, you know, go out and try to find work in, in what would largely be a futile effort? I understood all that and didn't have a problem with it. But it's not March of 2020 anymore. It's May of 2021. The world looks decidedly different and employers are hiring people trying to find jobs. Now, maybe your skill doesn't match the particular job that's out there, but I don't think it's unreasonable again to say, hey, you at least got to make a little bit of an effort. And the bottom line is, who knows, maybe you're going to get a job and maybe that'll kind of at least help jumpstart where you are. Maybe you'll find a job that's better than the one that you had and maybe you'll like what you're doing and maybe you'll like your boss and maybe you'll start to advance. It's Look, it's a difficult situation, I understand. I also understand that there's a lot of the sort of high-paying or higher-paying jobs that have disappeared and aren't coming back. I get all that. But still, for unemployment to qualify for it, I don't think it's unreasonable to say you got to do some job-related activities. All right, we've got a lot of stuff coming up in the next hour of the program, including do you pay pirates and what about masks in school? Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Mike Spalding, are you a golfer? You're not a golfer, are you? No, I am not. Okay. And I admire those who are, just not my sport. I know, and, and, and I, <laughs> I, I, I get it. I, I am, well, at least I, I, I'm a golfer, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a trunk slammer. I'm a ham and egger, you know. I'm not, <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that guy that's going out and shooting par, but I, I love it, and my, my goal is always to kind of break 90, and if I can do that, I'm happy. I, th- th- this is the weekend. This weekend, they're playing the PGA Championship. Mm-hmm. Now, the PGA Championship, which has been at Whistling Straits, I think twice, used to used to be in August. Now they've moved it up, so they're, they're playing it in, in May. And it's really interesting because this week they're playing it at Kiowa Island. It, it, it they play they pick a different course every year, so they're playing at Kiowa Island, which is a um, it's a barrier island just south of Charleston, about twenty miles south of Charleston. I've never been on this golf course, but I, I have been to Kiowa Island, um, and it's it, it's it's an amazing place and and it's it's an almost impossible golf course because you've got lots of sand you've got lots of water but it, it's on the atlantic so you've got you've got wind and and that's the thing that's why you know some of these tournaments you'll see these guys they're 10 15 under par and not not today i think the leader greg said was like 3 under or something yeah. and that that's that that's a really good score because you know when the wind you got this little golf ball and when you hit the ball 
if you hit the ball, the, when the wind's blowing like 30 miles an hour, it just it completely and totally changes the nature of the game. And there's not a cloud in the sky, at least today, so right. I'm assuming it's probably fairly windy with no overcast conditions or anything like that. Yeah, the, the first time I played Whistling Straits, which is, you know, just a little bit, you know, nor, north mm-hmm. of Kohler and stuff, I I played it, and like I say, I, I am... I am an average golfer. There's lots and lots of people that are better than me. There's lots of people that are worse. So the first time we played it, uh, played it with my buddy Steve. He and I, um, well, we, we played it in 35 mile an hour winds. And and for for me, for like a ham and egg, or it was it was just it was it was just unplayable. You'd, you'd hit uh, you'd hit these shots that I thought were like a great shot, and then you just kind of watch it, and the wind would take it and blow it. By the time, and of course at Whistling Straits, they they don't let you take carts, so you have to walk, and and that's fine. I, I like to walk golf courses, but I will tell you, by the time we got off that course, um, my buddy's wife had, had watched us for the last two holes, and she was standing there waiting waiting for us. She had two beers in each hand. <laughs> You know, and she said, I, you guys look like you need these. And, and we did. So it's but it's, it's going to be kind of fun to watch it. I I'd rather watch these tournaments where these pro maybe it, it, it's schadenfreude or whatever. But I, I'd rather watch these tournaments where these guys struggle and you say, oh, wow, you know, this guy just made a double bogey or whatever. I can relate to that. And it doesn't take away from the magnificence of watching a guy like hammer a drive either. If I know that they're going to struggle afterwards, like it still is amazing to watch them do it. Oh. Like it doesn't detract at all from me at and I'm with you. I like watching it when you're closer to par than you are, like 25. Well, right, because it, again, it's it's something that that again, us us, us trunk slammers can can relate mm-hmm. to. <laughs> you go, wow, as opposed to the guy that's saying, okay, it's it's 220 yards uphill into the wind. That's an eight iron, you know, <laughs> or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Which is it was the the first time I played this one golf course. I was playing in a, in a tournament. I remember the guys um, that I was playing with, and they, we were all grouped according to the handicap. And, and one of the guys was one of these younger guys and stuff, and said, okay, well here here's the deal. See out there on the left side, that's about 245 yards out. You carry that trap, and it'll go downhill. You get another 50 yards of roll and i said who are you talking to <laughs> did you, know? you look around yeah. is there yeah, someone behind me right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> who, are you, who are you talking to you you played eight holes with me already you you know what's going to happen there and stuff but it's uh it's kind of fun to watch and when the wind comes up that's that's always one of the challenges okay i want to um i got a lot of stuff i want to cover but there was an interesting text that i i i got over over the the news break and i want to share it with you one more conversation about unemployment before we move on because i again i i was making the argument that i don't think it's unreasonable if you're collecting unemployment that you should have to go out and apply for for jobs I, and i and because again unemployment and an unemployment insurance is designed to be this kind of safety net that carries you from one job to another. It's never been designed to necessarily replace your income or be something that's permanent. All right, well, here's I want to share this with you, and I want to just get your reaction one segment. Jeff, you totally don't understand. I was making $50 an hour at my last job, and I, I lost it. I just talked to the un- folks at unemployment. They said that if I get offered a $12 an hour job in the same field, I have to take it or lose my benefits, which I think is crap. And that, that's, that's it. So the person is saying, hey, I, I was working in this field, now unemployed, I was making 50 bucks an hour. And I am being told that under the rules, if somebody, if the job is in my field, 
and I apply for it, and somebody says, okay, here, here's the job, and we're going to pay you 12 bucks an hour or 15 bucks an hour, whatever that number would be, I have to take it. And the person was saying, I don't think that I should have to go to work at a job that pays me substantially less than what I was making before, which I thought was kind of, I, I find that to be interesting, and I'm curious, legitimately curious, as to your reaction to that. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, we're, we're not talking about you're, you're a computer programmer and they're giving you a job as a janitor. That, that's not it. But but let's let's say within the, these broad capabilities, you're maybe you're a, a manager at a at a retail store, something like that. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. You're making forty or fifty bucks an hour. You've lost that job through no fault of your own. You haven't been fired and stuff. You're looking for you're you're looking for work. You're hoping to replace that income. But, you know, you're collecting unemployment. So one of their rules is that, yeah, if you apply for a job and you are offered a job in your same field, yeah, you, you can't turn it down simply because it's a lot less money than you were paid. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I understand that life's not fair, but I guess that doesn't strike me as being completely and totally unreasonable. You're, I, I understand why you want to say, well, okay, it's it's a $20 an hour job or it's a $15 an hour job. I was making 40 or $50 an hour. I, I want to turn my nose up at it. I, I don't want to do it. But but that's that's fine. Is it unreasonable to say, no, you've got to do that. Um, you've got to do that while you're continuing to look for a job that pays you closer to what you used to make. I mean, should we say to people, you can just turn down jobs? 855-616-1620. We discuss. What do you think? One segment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, what if you're making a hundred grand a year and they offer you something for thirty two thousand dollars? What do you do with your bills? Well, you 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 go to work at thirty two thousand while you continue to look for another job that that pays you the, the hundred thousand. That that would be my my short term answer, as opposed to saying, all right, I'm just going to collect unemployment. I mean, I. I, I, I guess the, the idea is don't at some point in time you, you have to go back to work. And I, I understand that, for example, there's lots of people who lost relatively high-paying jobs and they're trying to figure out how to re- replace them. And, and maybe maybe that's kind of difficult. But um, the idea that the, the government should replace that full income, sorry, I don't buy it. Let's talk to Terry in Waukesha. Hi, Terry. Hi, Jeff. This is number two for me today, but you've hit a couple. This whole topic is near and dear to my heart because we've experienced all of this. I talked about my husband's job before in the trades. Now I'm going to talk about 08, 09 when we were in a financial crisis. Worked at a good paying job for 17 years at that point. I chose to work part time because our daughter was born. I worked for a company where I was an independent contractor doing the same job, making a decent wage. That company had financial struggles. I was let go as an independent contractor. I was without work for a couple months at that point, but I active and I wasn't eligible for unemployment because I was a contractor. So nothing more was coming into our household with my loss of wages. Right. And it was a significant amount. It was like fifty bucks an hour at that point. 
So uh, my husband, he was able to maintain. He could continue the bills. He's always been good. Even when he has been unemployed, he has been able to make ends meet because he's very meticulous about budgeting. I know that not everybody does that, but it's possible. So with my job situation at that time, I was actively seeking employment on my own, wasn't being told that I had to do it through the government, and I ended up going old school and finding a job um, as a banquet uh, waitress. And so I was making significant, I mean, not only was I not doing what my job was, but I uh, took a significant hit in what I was making previously. But through that, I ultimately was able to network and Mm -hmm. get to where I am today because there was somebody at one of the events that I just reached out to intentionally to see if there was any opportunity there, and it happened to work out in my favor. Now, I know that doesn't happen for everybody, but I'm going to say that it is possible, and I don't think that I would turn my nose up on any kind of job right now. Um, And I know I don't mean to sound, I know there are different circumstances, so I don't mean to sound so harsh about it, but... If I'm actively looking, I'm going to try to get bring yeah. something into the household again. I mean, th- th- with well, the idea, yeah, exactly. What yeah, you're no, Terry. Oh, thanks. I mean, I guess I, I've always believed that it's easier to find a job when you have a job. You know, and and look, even if it's a job that you might not like, or even if it's a job that you think is beneath you, or even if it's a job that you think doesn't match your skill levels or doesn't give you as much money as you think you deserve. That's fine. Not, nothing's forever. But at least if you're working, it, it's easier to find that job. And I guess if the alternative is here, um, yeah, if, if it's in your field and you get offered a job, even though it's substantially less than you were making before, that you should be willing to just say, no, I, I don't want to do it. I'm sorry. I, I just I, I don't buy that. At least that's not what that's not what unemployment insurance was 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 meant to do. It was to help people who are between jobs. If we want to change the rules and say, hey, if you lose a job, you don't have to go back to work. The government's going to support you until you can find something that matches your salary. Well, okay, then let's change the rules and and we can have that conversation. But then you're going to be talking about substantially increased costs. Lisa in Heartland. Lisa, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks. Um, Yes, this subject for me, when, when it happened last year with unemployment, um, I in three three years ago was was laid off from a high paying job and I followed the rules Jeff so I had to apply for jobs every week I had to go to meetings um, I am in Waukesha County and I ended up going to meetings um, all over just to get them in the time that I needed to right. um, and um, there were people that even said to me why are you there because they knew I had a higher paying job they you know we talked about what our experience was. But ultimately, I followed the rules. And so that's what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for um, our governments to say, follow the rules now. Here's what an unemployment um, is for. And I ultimately accepted a job with a lower rate, but I found my dream job. So Mm -hmm. that, to me, was just about doing my civic duty, number one, um, you know, following the rules. And number two, knowing that I had to take some type of job. And we did make concessions in my family. We didn't do the things that we needed to do. So the the caller or the person that emailed that said, um, what am I going to do with my bills? Well, guess what? You got to figure it out. And and that's 
what unemployment's for, to get you through that temporary time. Right, with, with the emphasis on, on temporary. And, of course, Lisa, there, there's nothing that says, so So you're working now, and you, you say, it's, it's, you, you know, you're in your dream job, and that's great, but even when you're in your dream job, there's nothing that stops you from trying to find some other job that maybe can, you know, bring in the income that you were making before. You, you, you're always looking for that, but you're you're not de- dependent on government or unemployment. You're, 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 you're able-bodied, you're capable of doing the work, and, and you're working. And if you want to look for something else while you're working, you know, go with God. That's what it's all about. Well, and what you said before about some of the people um, with unemployment and, and they didn't want the $12 jobs, you know, I go back and look at um, it, it's really hard to teach adults um, about the worth, the, the, the worth that they have in themselves um, and when they're older. And if we don't start younger in the schools and, and value mm-hmm. um, the work ethic and what these mean, it's, it is really difficult to get those adults who, who now are in that situation to understand what it means to take a $12 an hour job, knowing that they could get the skills later on and, and to work towards that. And it's really difficult to change the minds of adults when they have not had that their whole lives. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's kind of the circle we're in right now in our society. So, but thank you for bringing up this topic. I, I follow the rules and I just wish we, everyone can understand what it's about and, and why it would benefit to go get any type of job just to start out. Right. Thanks for calling. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I was thinking when you were, were talking, um, I, I, I was blessed in my life. I knew early on I wanted to be a lawyer. So that's, I was always moving, more working towards that, that goal. Um, but I, I did a you know, but before I got from point A to point B, I, I always worked. I mean, I worked during school and to make spending money and stuff. And I did some really crummy jobs. I mean, I did, I did really crummy jobs. And all along that the, the object lesson of this was, boy, you know, th- this is, you know, you, you want to be a lawyer, you know, you want to keep, you want to stay in school, you want to keep working in this direction because you don't want to, I, you know, I, I don't want to be doing this. I, I don't want to be doing this. I, I don't want to be doing that. You know, I, I worked, I told this story before, after I got out, I got through college in three and a half years and I had nine months off between college and law school and I went to work for an insurance company in, in Milwaukee just to, you know, make, make some money during that nine month period of time. And it, they were very good to me, very, very good to me. But I, I learned early on this is not what I want to do. And it, when I when time when September rolled around, it was time to go to school. They actually they whistled me in and they said, "Look, we really like you. We want you to stay here." They offered me more money to stay than I ended up making when I got out of law school three years later and went to work for the U.S. Attorney's Office. But I knew right then I said, "This is not this is not what I want to do." And it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a horrible job, but it wasn't it was not for me. But I I've always believed, and to Lisa's point, especially when you're young, to me that's one of the values of work, even if it's a quote unquote, you know, crap job, it, it, it motivates you to say, hey, this isn't, I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. So, Melissa Barkley, you, you probably worked in some bad jobs as oh, well. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but like you early on, I knew what I wanted to do, yeah. but um, to get up that ladder, you still have to, you know, go to school and and, and work right. crap jobs. Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I it's so funny because I lived on the East Coast for a while and I they, people would ask me, what was your first job? And. I would say detasseling corn, and they'd be like, "What? What's yeah. that?" Like detasseling corn sure, was the worst sure. job I've <laughs> I have ever had in my life, and uh, that definitely, if that doesn't propel you well, right. to do something different, I remember crying like in the morning because <laughs> I didn't want to go. But you know, I went and I did it. I hated it, yeah. and to this day, it's like. 
Yeah, those memories never got any better. Well, they well, were right, just no, bad. But no, yeah. it was the motivation to it say, was, like, stay, yeah. stay in school or, like, <laughs> learn a skill or something yeah. because God bless the people that do it and corn needs to be detached. It does. You just, didn't, you just didn't want to be the one that had to do it. No, it was not for me. And I did it several years in a row, <laughs> FYI. Um, yeah. Okay, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The Brew Crew, in the palm of your hand, if you live in Milwaukee, Waukesha, Washington, Ozaki, and Racine County, you can now listen to The Brewers on the WTMJ mobile app or at WTMJ.com. Bob Euchre and The Brewers, now easier for you to enjoy on your phone or computer. Download the WTMJ mobile app today. Group producing the show today, today and always. You are a baseball fan as I am. It's tough to watch the Brewers now. I just I, the four and twelve in May, just in pretty much complete freefall right at the moment. Yeah, I was feeling good about the past two games, or going into them rather. You know, with them being uh, both Woodruff and and, Bor- and Burns going on the on the mound, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, there, there's something really wrong, and I don't I don't know what it is, and I'm not smart enough to figure it out. But this this and it, it's a long baseball season, and they had a really good April, but they're for the second year in a row, they're they're not hitting at all. Their defense is awful. Um, Urias, who they, they dumped Orlando Arcia, and I wasn't a huge fan of Arcia necessarily, but they, they, they traded Arcia for essentially a bag of baseballs, a, a, a guy who's like 27 years old, never pitched in the major leagues, and somebody else who's not really contributing, and and now there's a real question as to whether Urias, after what two errors and two errors, can whether he can play shortstop. It, it's it's not they they got to figure it out right now. Yeah, and I was feeling good with Yelich coming back from the IL, um, yeah. but for him to only play DH, not play in the field, I know they're taking it easy, but maybe he came back too soon. I don't know. I, there's a lot of uncertainty right there, now. There, right, there is a lot, and we are Brewers fans, so we are rooting for the team. We listen to the games, win or lose, but it's a lot more fun when they're winning, and right now they're in a really bad streak, 4-12, um, and 12, I think, in May. Okay, here is this topic that my, my guess is, my guess is almost all of you, once you hear my reason for this, regardless of which side of the issue you're on, you're not going to be happy with some of the things that I say. But that's all right. Here's how we weighed in on this. Um, if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I have been a staunch advocate of dropping mask mandates for for, for several weeks now. The, the justification for mask mandates among people who are vaccinated was always that, you know, we needed to wear the masks until you were vaccinated because you, you could spread the disease even if you'd had COVID and recovered. Once more and more people got vaccinated, to me, the need and the justification behind mask mandates went away because if you look at the numbers, and there are breakthrough cases, but if you look at the numbers, if you are vaccinated, your chances of getting COVID are not great. If you are vaccinated and you get COVID and you don't know you have it, that is you're asymptomatic, that's like riding a unicorn. It it, it almost never happens. I'm not saying it's impossible to happen, but it, it almost never happens. And there are no reported cases of somebody who is vaccinated, who's gotten COVID, then spreading it to somebody else who's been vaccinated. Not saying that there aren't any cases. I'm just saying that there's no reported cases. So to me, that, that's that's always been the carrot as to why you have to, why it's in, you, we should encourage people to get vaccinated, because then you know that you're 
you know, you're, you're by and large, you are protected. And by making people who are vaccinated continue to wear masks, you're essentially flying in the face of science. The CDC finally came around to that position. I think they were a little late to come to it, but they've come to it. And so now you have communities that are, are doing away with the mask mandates. Many states have, lots of businesses have. In Wisconsin, mask mandates are pretty much a thing of the past. E, the city of Milwaukee is going to continue theirs till June 1st. No real good reason why, but they're continuing to June 1st. Madison till June 2nd. Most communities have now dropped it. There is an exception, and that is in schools. The vast majority of schools are continuing, not all, but the vast majority of schools are continuing with their mask requirements um, at least through the end of this school year, which is going to be like in three weeks. And this is causing it's causing a lot of controversy. A lot of parents say, look, you know, now now that people are being vaccinated, uh, the fact is that in uh, that the teachers, if the teachers have wanted to be vaccinated, the teachers can get vaccinated. So that's they're protected. Um, the covid virus does not spread as easily among children. So children aren't in as great a risk. And having to go to school and wear masks kind of gets in the way of things. It would be better if we could get back to normal. So there is this push to do away with mask mandates in the schools. And a matter of fact, I think in Waukesha, they've, they've made it optional. Most of the other schools in the district have decided, in the, in the, at least in the our region, have decided they're going to continue their mask mandate through the end of the year. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I think about this, and this is why it's probably going to irritate almost everybody. I, on the one hand, I, I, I'm a big believer in dropping the mask requirements for people who are vaccinated. I, I think that's been long overdue, like I say. And I know there's some of you out there that just don't feel comfortable with that. You think everybody should wear masks for months, if not forever. I don't agree with that. Having said all that, though, first of all, in the schools, right now, we're just starting to vaccinate kids over the age of 12. And in addition, right now, there's no vaccine for younger kids. I understand that the teachers can get vaccinated and the teachers can be protected. I also understand that, you know, wearing masks for kids is uncomfortable and there's a battle that you fight about, you know, how do you keep the masks on? Having said that, we've only got a couple weeks left in school, and I think keeping the mask mandates, at least for the next couple weeks, I don't think that's unreasonable. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Hey, this is WTMJ's Jane Natnair from Wisconsin's Morning News. By the time we hit the airwaves, it's pretty much all grins and giggles. Watching guys in their underwear jump and run fast? Is that how they sell it, watching guys jump around in their underwear? Because I, I would go to that. But here at Radio City, we know to stay clear of Gene Miller before he's had that first cup of coffee. <coughs> Join us weekdays from 5 to 8.30. We'll make sure the coffee's hot and that my co-host is uh, properly caffeinated. Coffee! Wisconsin's Morning News on News Radio WTMJ. Hey, are you a nonprofit organization? Do you need to raise funds for your sports team, your high school, your college, or your church group? Well, you can find the fast and fun way. It's just been announced that American Family Field will return to 100% capacity starting June 25th. Milwaukee Sports Service has helped hundreds of groups raise millions of dollars 
working at the many wonderful concession stands at the ballpark. The way it works is the more games you work, the more money you make. Come on, spend a day at the ballpark, start raising funds now. Go to BaseballNonprofit.com. That's one word, BaseballNonprofit.com. Check them out. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and let me be real clear here. My, my, my position is for the school districts that have had mask mandates in place for the, the, the school year, the ones that have let the kids back into school, I, I guess I'm at a point now where given that there's three weeks left in the school year, it seems to me that this is a battle that, again, is simply just not worth fighting. Now, now if we were in September... And when we are in September, if the question is, all right, after we've had a couple more months and more and more people have been vaccinated and things of the like, if coming back in September, you have schools that continue to have mask mandates, I can guarantee you my position on that is going to be different. I'm just I'm kind of looking at the calendar here. And I'm looking at the fact that you're, you know, you're getting more people vaccinated, but especially with the 12 years and older, that's still that that's, we're just really starting with that type of stuff. I, I guess, do I really believe that it's unsafe to be back in schools? No, I, I don't. I, and I, I've been arguing that for the longest time. But I guess for the schools that have had mask mandates in place, given that there's only three weeks left in the school year, I kind of look at this and I say, is this a fight that, that you need to, to pick? Is, is this a battle that needs to be fought? Um, let's go to our text line. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um <clears throat> Jeff, I think, you know, teachers are afraid of their shadows. Well, this is an anti-teacher stuff. This is, this is the question about, um, th- this is the question that I, I think, you know, the teachers have the opportunity to be vaccinated. So is this a question where the teachers are at risk? No, I, I don't think so. That's why for the longest time, you know, we've been saying it's, it's fine to have in-person school that's there. I think kids are relatively used to you know, wearing, wearing the masks in the classroom. And given the fact that we, we don't have vaccinations for kids that are under the age of 12, and given the fact that we're just really starting to roll them out for 12 plus, and given the fact that there's three weeks left in the school year, and you've got like the Memorial Day holiday that's coming up as well, this, I would say, don't rock the boat for the next couple of weeks. But then recognize that, you know, it's it's important to go back, get kids in school, and it's important to get the masks off. And, and let's start figuring out and planning how we can do that across the board, you know, for September. Let's talk to um, Bert on the south side. Bert, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Bert. Bert, Bert, Bert. Okay. Sorry, lost Bert there. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, part of getting back to school is also socializing with your peers. I think they should take off the mask. It's just my opinion. And I... But I, I, I agree that that socialization is, I think, extremely important. And that's why I think every school district should be moving forward with the idea that when, when school resumes in the fall, and we'll, I guess we'll leave the question of summer school open for the moment, but when school resumes in the fall, well, what, what's going to happen is we want, you know, 
it's it's going to be without masks. You know, figure out how you can do that. Jeff, I agree it's time to put the masks away, but probably not worth the fight for three more weeks. Worry about the new school year. Right. So we, we, and I guess that's that that is the point. If you ask me, gee, in a perfect world, do I think, you know, given the fact that the teachers have had the opportunity to be vaccinated, given the fact that this does not spread typically among children, you know, is, is it really would you be putting kids at risk if you went without the masks? And my answer would be, you know, in the real world, probably not at that greater risk. But you, you've, we've gone this far. Why pick this particular battle? Um, Jeff, this has nothing to do with safety, teachers or students. I believe it's all strictly it's all political. And um, if we let our guard down on this, um, we'll be walked all over the next time and the next time after that. Um, I understand there's three weeks left, but I still think we have to uh, stand our grounds as parents and fight for our rights. I, I understand understand the sentiment on that, but if the rule's been in place, and again, there are differences. Well, Jeff, you're the guy that advocates, you know, dropping the mask rules, you know, inside of of buildings and workplaces and things like that. And and my answer is yes, but there is an asterisk. There is a but on that. You know, one of the the big stories and the big buts is with that regard that, um, and that's B-U-T-S, one of the big buts is that the the reason I think we can get back to normal is because of the presence of, of vaccinations. And that's what the CDC says. You know, if you're vaccinated, you can you can stop doing all these different things and you can start doing you know your your life that doesn't apply yet to the kids that are in the schools and again i i if we're having this conversation in september i assure you i'm going to have a, a different point of view but given how much of a struggle we have had this entire year with uh, some parents who just refuse to send their kids to school and teachers who don't want to be in the classrooms and some teachers who've been in the classrooms for the last year and, and the, these knockdown drag out battles we've had about getting kids into the schools to, to change the rules with three weeks left seems to me to just be be picking a fight that is unnecessary, which isn't to say that I, I think it's not might not be a fight worth picking if this is going to be the new norm. If school boards are going to come out and say, or school districts are going to say, well, for, for here on out, we're going to make kids wear masks in school. Well, that's a different story. If they want to say, hey, we're, we're getting done on June 10th or June 11th or whatever, whatever it is, and we're going to Keep our policy in place for the next three weeks, and then we'll we'll figure out what the new plan is come September. That I understand that particular position, and there's just sometimes there's some battles that just aren't worth being fought. At least that would be my take on this. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. Here's an interesting text. Jeff, if a 12-year-old or older can show proof that they have been vaccinated, I think they should be able to go maskless in school. Um, hmm. And it's two weeks post-vaccine. I I guess, I, I mean, I again, I understand... I understand the purpose behind the vaccine rule, and I support it for adults. I, I continue to go back and say, look, there, there's three weeks left in school. And, you know, we, we, as somebody who pushed hard to get schools to open up to in-person instruction, I guess at some point in time, it, there's a rule on masks has been in place for the last X number of months or the entire school year. I, I don't know why you necessarily need to, in the school setting, you, why, why you need to drop it. I 
understand. I mean, intellectually, you can say, well, if the kid's been vaccinated, you know, maybe and they can show proof, maybe they don't have to wear them. But to me, that's that's almost more trouble than it's worth at this point in time with three weeks left in the school year. If we discuss this in August, I guarantee you I'm probably going to have a much different position on it. But but again, that's that's the difference in timing. Hey, you know, one of the big controversies at the beginning of covid ultimately resolved by the Wisconsin Supreme Court was whether Governor Evers essentially was he an elected governor or did he have permanent powers um, more akin to like an emperor or a king? Remember that the, the law in Wisconsin allows a governor to impose all sorts of conditions for 30 days in the time of emergency. But the law also pretty clearly says after that 30 days, the governor the governor loses the ability to continue these emergency things. It has to be done by the legislature. Now, that didn't stop Tony Evers from continuing various mandates. And ultimately, I think the state Supreme Court has now ruled on this. My my problem all along wasn't whether the governor's role and what, what the governor wanted to do was right or wrong or in the best interest. It's whether he had the legal authority to do that. Well, interestingly, the governor in Pennsylvania tried to do essentially the same thing that that Tony Evers did. Ultimately, he got slapped down by the courts. But interestingly, he's also now been slapped down by the the voters. And what happened the other day was voters in in Pennsylvania um, ended up uh, with a pair of constitutional amendments, one limiting the governor's emergency declarations to 21 days unless the legislature extends them. And the other amendment says the governor can't veto a resolution that ends an emergency. So the, the people of Pennsylvania took the position that, no, we, we don't elect kings. We don't elect emperors. Um, you can't have the power to just permanently declare an emergency and continue it and continue it. Um, I think that the voters got it right. And candidly, if I think if you ask voters in Wisconsin that they'd agree with voters in Pennsylvania. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I'm a little bit unclear. Is discrimination wrong or is it okay from time to time? I bring this story up because it involves the mayor of Chicago. Her, her name is Lori Lightfoot. She is uh, the first black female mayor of of Chicago. She this, she's in the middle of her first term. Um, she's also she's also openly gay. So she's you know she's the first openly gay mayor of Chicago. She is the first uh, black female mayor of of Chicago. She's had a. Well, a, a relatively checkered first two years. She's been involved in one controversy after another. I, my guess is she's going to be a one-term mayor, but that's that's just my guess. And I admit that uh, given the fact that being the mayor of any large urban city is a, is a huge challenge, plus you add in the fact that it's a pandemic, and, and you know, that's just, again, that the challenges end up getting multiplied. But nevertheless, for a variety of reasons, I, she's very, very controversial and, and justifiably controversial. Anyhow, this is what she's done. She's coming up on the two-year anniversary of her being mayor. So she makes an announcement 
yesterday, two days ago, that she is going to be sitting down with local news people, you know, people that work for the TV stations and the radio stations and the newspapers in Chicago, and she'll be doing interviews to talk about the first two years of her term. Okay, all well and good. But there's an asterisk that comes with this. The asterisk is that she will only do one-on-one interviews with people of color, namely people who are black or brown. So if you are a white news reporter, she will not sit down and do an interview with you. And and she she makes no bones about it. She says, you know, I, I don't think we have enough diversity in the media in Chicago. Um, I think there's too many, you know, white people, and particularly I think there's too many white males in, in the media, you know, that cover City Hall, that cover all this stuff. And so what I'm going to do is I am going to, uh, again, do interviews with persons of color. Here's specifically her statement. It's a shame that in 2021, the City Hall Press Corps is overwhelmingly white in a city where more than half of the city identifies as black, Latino, AAPI, or Native American. She says, diversity and inclusion is imperative across all institutions, including media. In order to progress, we must change. This is exactly why I'm being intentional about prioritizing media requests from Persons of color reporters on the occasion of the two-year anniversary of my inauguration as mayor of this great city. This is an imbalance that needs to change. Chicago is a world-class city. Our local media should reflect the multiple cultures that comprise it. It's time for the newsrooms to do better and build teams that reflect the makeup of our city. So... She says, look, there's not enough diversity. So my response to this is I'm only going to sit down and talk to reporters of color. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Say what? <laughs> I mean, I, I, when, I, when I first saw this story, you know, breaking across all these different media sources, I, I just, I, I, I admit, it, it takes a lot for me to really become speechless. This is something that I, I actually that, that in fact did render me speechless. If you had a politician, let, let, let's take let's take care of the low hanging fruit first. If you had a politician who said, "Hey, I'm Tom Barrett decides I'm only going to do interviews with white people." All right. Well, well, you understand. I mean, and, and deservedly so. You'd have lawsuits being filed. You'd, you'd have all these different claims that are made. What do you mean? How can you do that? So and, and deservedly so, which is one of the reasons why Tom Barrett or Tony Evers or Scott Walker would, would never would never do something like this. I also understand that maybe she's got a legitimate beef and and maybe that, that they need to figure out a way to bring in reporters who are more diverse or whatever. All right, that that's that may be a valid point as well. But is the way that you accomplish this by announcing that you are not going to do interviews with white reporters? And that, that's and she makes no bones about it. No, she makes no bones about it. If you are if you are a white reporter, male or female, you you need not apply I'm going to be doing all this with, with people of color. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, interestingly enough, the, the reaction to this has gone over like a lead balloon, and you have a number of reporters, both in the electronic media and in the print media in Chicago, who are reporters of color, black, or Latino, whatever. And, and their response in general has been, 
we're not going to do this. We're, we're not going to play along with this. And, you know, we're, we're not going to be part of this. And just because you're willing to talk to us, we're not willing to talk to you if you're going to discriminate in this fashion against our colleagues. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand it, it's Chicago, which is, is different. But the, the idea, if we had a local official who took that position, if you had, uh, again, and maybe an elected official of, of a person of color, you know, who decided, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit down. I refuse to, you know, talk to any white reporters. We're not going to do that. I mean, would something like that be acceptable? Now, obviously, there's always situations where people pick and choose. Uh, you know, I don't want to do an interview with that guy because I think he's a jerk, or I don't want to do an interview with that person because I think she treated me poorly before. But this is the first time I've ever heard it just being overtly based on, on race. I'm not going to sit down. I'm an elected official. I'm not going to sit down and talk to you because you are not the right color. 855-616-1620, we discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like like I was saying right before the break, I, I understand that politicians often pick and choose. They, they have their favorite reporters. They have the people that they call up and want to go on their talk shows. And, and they, they'll, they have reporters that they'll do the one-on-one interviews with because they feel comfortable with them. And, and there's a wide variety of reasons why they would do that. All right. This is the first time, though, I can recall a politician, and this is the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, saying, I'm going to do interviews. I want to do sit downs reflecting on the last two years of my the first two years of my term. But the the criteria is that you have to be a if you're a reporter, I will not talk to people who are white. I'm going to talk to people who are black. I'm going to talk to people who are Hispanic. But if you're a white reporter, male or female, don't don't bother applying for this set of interviews. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is unbelievable to me in 2021 that some politician would think that that would be all right. Now, look, I take no position at all in the larger question of does does the Chicago media need to be more diverse? I, I, I don't know. Some of the news organizations are kind of pushing back about what she's saying, saying, you know, it's actually a lot more diverse than you apparently think. But I, I, you know, that that's fine. That's a legitimate issue. If she believes that there should be more people of color, you know, covering city hall or whatever, she has every right to express that position. And maybe she's right. Maybe she's wrong. You know, people can agree to disagree on that. But my point is for an elected official to simply say, I am going to make the decisions on which journalists I speak to based solely on their race it is absolutely outrageous. And I think we would all agree that if you try to do this the other way, that is a white politician saying, I'm 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 only going to sit down and talk to white reporters, you know that this would be a national story, as it should be, and you know that there would be appropriate outrage and threats of lawsuits and things like this. Um, Jeff, unbelievable. Can't believe a mayor can actually state she's being racist. I think it's pathetic. Well, I, that that's pretty much the, the position. Jeff, the mayor says she wants unity, but stuff like this is what keeps people uh, divided. Yes. Jeff, welcome to the new world. So long as segregation and discrimination is against, in this case, white people, it's apparently okay. 
Um, well, it, I would say it's not okay. Jeff, I'm not a Trump supporter, but can you imagine the outrage that would have occurred if he picked who he did interviews with on the basis of race? Unbelievable. And of course, like I say, I, I know before people text me, I am sure that President Trump, in many cases, especially towards the end of his administration, you know, cherry picked the reporters that he did interviews with. I, I get it. Politicians do that. I'm sure that it's clear that President Trump wasn't necessarily going into venues that where he thought he'd be you know, pushed or getting hostile questions or whatever. That that's that comes with the territory. But basing it on discrimination, but basing it on on the race, that's where I think it crossed the line. Jeff, isn't this the um, textbook definition of racism? Taking actions based on a single criteria of a person's race. Um, yes, it, it, it is. Um, no question about that at all. Um, let's see. Her colors are showing she needs to resign immediately. Well, that's not going to, um, that's not going to happen. She's not going to resign. Matter of fact, she's defending about this. Jeff, at least she was open and honest about it. Have you never heard, have you ever heard of Donald Trump? He had a very selective process and only did interviews with surprise white people. Um, well, I don't know that that's the, the case at, at all. I, that I'm sure that we can go back and you can find all sorts of interviews that President Trump did with persons of color. Now, it is fair to say that Trump, I'm sure like a lot of other politicians, like I was saying earlier, they did interviews with uh, reporters that they found were going, that they believed were going to be sympathetic to them, that they thought that they'd you know, get an ability to, to make their points and things like that. That, that happens. But no, I, I don't, and I guess that's one of the things that you can politifact it, but I, I'm sure that if you go back and look, you would find President Trump did interviews, did not, did not refuse to do interviews with people because, um, they were black or because they were Hispanic. Um, Jeff, she is a racist. If she was truly looking for equity, she would ask for reporters to be, uh, for, of a diverse group for, for all sit downs. Um, yeah, I think that there is an element to that. Jeff, I don't think it's right. Um, uh, I don't think it's right. Yeah. So I, I, I can't disagree with that. Um, Jeff, I've managed to avoid Chicago since 2018, and these divisive policies make me even less likely to go to that city and spend money there. Well, it is, I think, clearly a divisive sort of policy that's out there. I, and somebody texted and said, well, is she refusing to talk to any white reporters anytime? No, no, she's not. This is for a, a special series of interviews that she wants to do for to celebrate like her two years in, in office. So I, I'm not I don't believe that she's going to exclude white reporters, for example, from press conferences or things like that. But for these sit downs, the criteria that you have to have is you have to be a person of color if I mean, if racism is discriminating against discriminating against people on the basis of color, how how could this not be racism? All right. When we come back, a lot of ground to cover. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us coming up in less than 10 minutes. I'm going to go Art Bell on you. I will explain that if you do not understand the reference. It will be an interesting conversation. Uh, last week, we, we mentioned 
this colonial pipeline, and of course, this was the big story for a week ago and the last two weeks. Colonial Pipeline is the major pipeline company that brings gasoline, that brings oil from the Gulf Coast up to the East Coast. It, it services about 55% of the East Coast running you know, up through the Carolinas and, and all the way up to New Jersey. I think everybody knows the story. What happened is you had some of these cyber hackers, um, a group that they think is like in Eastern Europe, who hacked into the Colonial Pipeline's computer system and ended up effectively shutting the, this shutting this down. The, the one of the takeaways was again how vulnerable apparently our our infrastructure is to these sort of cyber attacks. You know the effect was that you had gas lines and gas shortages, not so much because there was an, an actual shortage of oil, but rather because people freaked out. You know that's why I said last week. In many respects, we're our own worst enemies. There was plenty of fuel that were in storage tanks and things like that. This was a, a temporary shutdown worst case scenario is the pipeline shut down they're going to be they'll be trucking you know the gas from the gulf coast up to the east coast so there, there was there was going to be plenty that was around and there was actually probably plenty of gas to have gotten us through that temporary shutdown but what happened is people freaked out and just like at the start of the pandemic where everybody ran out and bought every roll of toilet paper they could get. Here, I'm going to buy a four-year supply of toilet paper and created an artificial shortage. Well, what we had, you know, last week was people freaking out and running out and topping off their tanks and creating gas lines when, when they really didn't need gas, but they were afraid they wouldn't be able to get it, so they rush and they get it, and what ends up happening is you create this artificial shortage that was out there. Well, anyhow, the pipeline CEO, after originally saying that he was not going to pay a ransom, because that's what these you know hackers want. They say, hey, you know, we'll, we'll give you the stuff uh, if you pay us, X amount of dollars, you know, we'll give you the stuff that you need to, you know, fix what we have done to your computer. The FBI says you don't negotiate with with terrorists, and that that's generally a good policy, I think, that you would have. Uh, the Colonial Pipeline CEO, however, after first denying he was going to do it, has now fessed up to paying $4.4 million to the hackers to get them to give him encryption devices, uh, an encryption device, which, as it turned out, really didn't do that much anyways. But he justifies it by saying, well, you know, I, I was worried about what was going to happen. You know, um, this was critical uh, energy infrastructure. And, um, you know, we, we did this because we thought it was the right thing to do for the country. Give an interview with the Wall Street Journal today where he says that I thought it was the right thing to do for the country. My comment would be no. It wasn't the right thing to do for the country because here's the problem. The reason you have these hackers who do this is because they know that you're going to give in and pay them money. If instead you don't pay them money and you just figure out how to fix these things on your own, and yes, it might take a couple extra days or whatever, and yes, it might cost a whole bunch of money, but if you don't give in to their demands, well, then eventually they dry up and they blow away. Now, the interesting thing about this Colonial Pipeline story is it became public because it was the infrastructure. My guess is 
there's all sorts of businesses that are getting hit with this and government agencies as well. But I think there needs to be a policy. And that policy is you, you don't negotiate with terrorists and you don't pay ransom because all you do is encourage the bad behavior. And if that means that, okay, maybe somebody can't quite top off their tank as quickly as they want, well, we just have to figure out how to deal with that. But I think the pipeline CEO was completely and totally wrong in paying $4.4 million. And all he's done is inspire this group or other similar groups to try to hit other energy companies as well. These other energy companies and suppliers, they also need to be working more on their cybersecurity. And the government needs to be identifying these pirates and figuring out ways that we can bring them to justice. All right. When we come back, I'm going to go a little Art Bell on you. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back, Rue, producing the show today and always. You know who Art Bell is, was, correct? Yeah, old uh, radio broadcaster. Well, yes, right. No, old radio broadcaster. But yeah, Art, Art Bell, um, who passed away a couple years ago, he, he was... He, he he started off in, in Las Vegas doing what would we describe as a conventional political sort of talk show, a current event show. And then what he did is he, he morphed into one of the, the truly successful overnight talk show hosts. He, he ended up moving his show from Las Vegas, Nevada, to his home in Pahrumpf, Nevada. And he would... Um, he would do, he was, he was in the overnight hours and it was, I I would listen from time to time. It's one of those things. If you're up at three o'clock in the morning, which I I rarely am, but every once in a while you're up at three o'clock in the morning and I'm a huge fan of spoken word radio. I, 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 I love the fact that I've been able to make a living for all these years in a medium that I I, I truly enjoy. And so I, I, I'd listen to Art Bell. Now, Art Bell was kind of way out there. And, and what the, the show morphed into, it, it moved away from like current events and politics and things like that. And it, it morphed into, well, conspiracy sort of stuff and with, with a heavy dose of, of UFOs. And, you know, he'd have all these callers. And of course, it's people that are up at three o'clock in the morning that want to call and share the fact that they've just just seen they've seen the UFO, etc. But you just promote all these different kind of conspiracy theories. And I, I, to me, it was just it was just pure and total entertainment. And you'd sit there and you'd go, my gosh, there are these people out there that believe all these different things, but they believe it passionately. And it was just great spoken word entertainment. Well, all right. If you watch 60 Minutes last Sunday and have been reading some of the stories like one I have in the Washington Post now, maybe Maybe we should have given Art Bell a little more credit. Maybe he was really just ahead of his time. I mean, 60 Minutes on Sunday did this piece, an interview with a a Navy pilot who essentially says, look, um, you know, we we see these UFOs, although they don't call the government doesn't call them UFOs, unidentified flying objects. They call them UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena. And the pilot says, look, we, me and my buddies are my colleagues. We, we, we see these things regularly. He says, you know, it's that whole 60 minutes every day, every day for at least a couple of years. You know, we'll, we'll have a pilot that will see one of these unident, some of this unidentified aerial phenomena and it's now pretty apparent that this ufo stuff is starting to go as they describe it mainstream um coming up next month 
there's going to be a government report which will be released and this was part of last year's appropriation bill that will um, have a detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena data and intelligence gathered by the Office of Naval Intelligence, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, and the FBI. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Nobody knows the answer for sure. Nobody knows the answer for sure, but do you believe in unidentified flying objects? Are there aliens among us? Are we being checked out by visitors from other planets, or is this just, just stuff that happens, things that people see that have logical explanations? All right, we're talking UFOs. 855-616-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'm going out to dinner this evening, and I, I understand that at dinner, one of the first conversations, somebody's going to be saying, were you really talking about UFOs on the program today? And I'm going to be saying, no, it's not UFOs. I'll be talking about UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, which is what the government officially says this. 855-616-1620. Look, I, I am, I am not... I am not arrogant enough or naive enough to believe that there's no in in the vast universe that you know the only forms of intelligent life are found on the planet Earth. At the same time, I am not at all convinced that you know when you have this report of I don't know something moving quickly through the night sky that that's really aliens that are checking us out. I'm not sold on the you know unidentified aerial phenomena thing. I think most of the time there's a logical explanation for it. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with uh, Nick in Green Bay. Nick, good afternoon. Hey Jeff, I love your show. Thank you, sir. Um, okay, are, are are there aliens hey. among us? Well, as soon as you said our bell, my ears perked up. He's a fellow ham operator. So. Okay. Um, but I, I'm, I live a mile from the stadium. I don't like sports. I love science. I saw Neil deGrasse and stuff, and he says that his hypothesis is that there's something out there. I believe there's something out there, but, I mean, we're a pretty uncivilized world. Do you think that you'd, anybody would want to visit us? I mean, we're a bunch, we can't even get along with each other. Can you imagine, you know? Something else visiting us. Oh, so, so Bell you, was way out there. I mean, yeah. he's way out there, but it was it was good entertainment when he's alive. Oh, oh, like, I, he's a fellow ham operator, so. Oh yeah, no thanks. I mean, well, absolutely right. And I, I'm just kind of using Art Bell as a thing, but he was. It was it was very sort of entertaining stuff, but it was kind of like out there. I guess I having do, intellectually, do I appreciate that there might be something else out there in the vast universe? I, I do. I, I do, but uh, until until there's more hard this idea that okay, I was looking at the night sky and I saw these like blinking lights that were there or something that I perceived to be a blinking light. I mean, most of the times it, it's going to be the weather balloon or it's going to be some sort of natural phenomena. I, I guess I, I'm. Do I believe that people have have seen? things that they cannot explain that are out there. Yeah, I, I accept that as the premise. Do I think everybody that claims to have seen stuff in the night sky is necessarily some conspiracy kook? No, I, I'm sure that they, they saw things. I guess my point is, a, until until I see some proof otherwise, I'm going to be thinking that you know there, there is a logical explanation for what it is that you saw. It's just that we don't know what that logical explanation is yet. A Mark in Lake Mills. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm real well, thank you. Okay, are there aliens among us? Well, 
Last July 15th, it was uh, 2020. It was 6.20 in the evening. A buddy of mine are headed up Highway 53 by Monong, Wisconsin. <clears throat> and I look up, and I'm driving, and in the top of my windshield, I see a light in the sky, and I go, what the F? And my buddy looks up, and so we're staring at this light in the sky, and it descends on us. Now, there's no clouds in the sky, and this is the middle of the summer. It's still clearly light out. There's nobody within. We didn't see a vehicle. We couldn't see anybody behind us, and nobody for about 20 miles in front of us. So that was a little strange. Um, okay, so what, hap- what, what, what happens? It, what, wait, what happens? The, the light starts descending on you. What happens? It, it comes down, and it looked like it came within probably about three or four miles from us in the air. My buddy said he thought it was closer, but I'm driving, you know, 70 miles an hour, so I couldn't look at it the whole time. He had his eyes on it the whole time. This only lasted between 12 and 15 seconds. Had no chance to pull out a phone and look at it because you're just right. you're mesmerized by this. And so this light in the sky, it comes, descends on us, and then it sat there and it just wobbled. And it wobbled, and then it came down a little bit closer, wobbled again, and then... We looked up, and within one and a half seconds, this thing took off so fast. I mean, it was like a way faster than any rocket ship that you could imagine. It was gone. And, I, and there was Mark, no clouds. It wasn't a drone. And so as soon as it was, it took off, I look at my buddy, and we didn't hadn't talked. The only word I said is, what right, right, right. Yeah, I get and, it. <laughs> and, and he goes... He goes, we just seen a flying saucer. And I looked at him and I said, that's exactly what it was. It wasn't a UFO because we identified it as a flying saucer. <laughs> Did, have, so, you to, have you told people this? I assume you've told other people this story. Oh, I tell people all, all the time. You know, most of them, I'd say half believe me and half think I'm crazy. But my buddy talked to, uh, he called the sheriff department the next day in the Superior Telegram, and then he filed a report with, there's some UFO agency right. that takes reports, and, and he and filed you know, a report and, and with And I assume him. you never heard anything more about it. We did not, no. Okay, all right, thanks, um, all right, thanks for calling. No, I got it. Thanks, for, I get it. I, want, I, 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 I I've never had that. I've never had that experience, and I don't. I, I don't mock it. I mean, obviously, you know, he he's, he he says he saw what he saw, and he feels very strongly about it. And maybe my position on this would be different if if I had had a similar sort of experience. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I haven't had a direct experience, but I do have an extra supply of tin foil in my kitchen, <laughs> and because I'm not a hundred percent sure what I'm about to tell you, but I do sometimes wonder, especially after I've read Stephen King, uh, if the aliens are surveilling us or watching us, but I suspect that they're probably of the opinion that we are a bunch of lunatics <laughs> and they are probably afraid of us. Well, you know, how we don't want to reveal themselves. You know, you know, it's interesting you say that, Jeff, because I, I, you know, one of my tongue in cheek things is sometimes when 
for example, you look at some of the absolute craziness or the silliness that gets done, whether it's in Milwaukee or Madison or in Washington. I mean, I, I've often made the, the analogy that if, you know, if you had that spaceship from Mars that landed like in Cathedral Square and, and somebody just tuned into one of these particular discussions or what they were going to do next in City Hall or whatever, the aliens would get back in their spaceship and leave convinced that there's no intelligent life <laughs> on on the planet. Um Let's see. Um, let me share a couple texts here. Um, Jeff, my mom grew up um, in the, my mom grew up in the kettle, specifically in the 1950s and 60s, and she has stories about things she saw in the sky. I've heard her tell the stories over and over again, and I, I believe her. Her stories never waver. Well, I guess I I have no doubt that people see what they they say i mean mo- most people i mean I, and you got all these navy pilots for example that they're, they're reporting seeing that this phenomena i i accept that i guess what i have trouble accepting is the fact that maybe those are like alien life forms for you know I, and they're, they're you could say okay jeff what's the explanation for this or what's the explanation for that i don't know if you're asking me like our caller who said it had the light descended on him and it was a flying saucer i i can't tell you what the explanation for it was i'm just i guess until it happens my, to me, I'm, I'm not convinced that that stuff is, you know, actually going to be, you know, out there. Um, Jeff, I'm with the first caller as far as the light taking off in a second. My neighbors and I were mesmerized by two lights some years back. They appeared to be playing. It would be gone in a second. They'd come back fast and then go like a flash. I wish I had a reasonable answer, but I don't. It was just absolutely nuts. Jeff, Dundee, Wisconsin is the UFO capital of Wisconsin. Um, hmm, okay. You know, um, interesting. Um, kind of, kind of interesting to see where you kind of go with this. Somebody says, this, this is just, it, it's, you go down this rabbit hole. This is what the rabbit hole conversation is. Well, it's why I think UFOs or, you know, UAPs or whatever are, are starting to go, again, it's going to go mainstream. And if you think that they're getting attention now, just wait till the government releases this report in, in next, uh, you know, next month, because you know that's going to fuel a lot of people and a lot of speculation. For years, Harry Reid, who was the Democrat from Nevada, he was one of the big proponents of, hey, we, we've got to make all this UFO stuff public and, or UAP stuff or whatever you want to call it. We got to make it public. Now, um, actually, uh, Marco, Marco Rubio, who's the Republican from Florida, he's, um, he's, you know, talking about this and he's one of the proponents of this um and and trying to push these things saying hey we at least need to identify it one of the theories is even if it's not aliens what it might be is foreign governments who are using technology or planes or whatever to kind of probe us i I don't know what the answer is it's kind of a fun discussion and there are a lot of people out there who have stories like one of our callers just did okay when we come back we're going to talk to john melissa and greg find out what they have on their minds for wisconsin's afternoon news